Hello and welcome to Register, the podcast about architecture and landscape from the Kingston School of Art in London. My name is Andrew Clancy. In this episode, we are joined by Floris de Bruyne, who is one of three partners, uh, along with Philippe de Birlanger and Frederic Verscheren, uh, of Gafpa Architects based in Ghent. All partners were educated in the local school, KU Leuven, where they also teach. And in this conversation, we kind of, well, we go through the history of their practice and their fascinations and how that is, has been shaped and evolved over the years. They've moved from small, carefully crafted work to much more large-scale urban projects, which they're working on at the moment. And on Floris's views on education and on how to allow a student build on their own intuitive understandings of the subject uh, while building their skill set in architecture. I do hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you. Floris, you're very welcome to the Kingston School of Art. Thanks for coming. Thank you. I mean, it's always easy to start at beginnings, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, Gafpa, you're three partners? Yes, that's true. And you met in college? Uh, yeah, we studied together. Okay, all yeah. in the same year? No, uh, my two partners are one year older than me, but um, well, yeah, we met uh, afterwards and uh, then we started the office. Yeah, and who taught you? Who were the people that sort of impacted on you at that time? Well, there were, of course, you have a few names that, that like, for example, Paul Robrecht teaches yeah. at our school, and also um, uh, Klaus Horis from Kusini Horis Architects, and other, uh, well, there's a lot of uh, teachers, uh, I think, um, for each one of us, it, it's different, the one that makes a difference, of course. Yeah, and it's not always the most significant name. No, but it, it's usually, I remember working together um uh, well, with one of of, of, of the two, uh, with Philip, and we we had this kind of group um, intervention, and and in this kind of this interaction is very interesting, and sometimes you learn a lot more through each other yeah. than the actual uh, interaction with the teacher, or it, it depends. So, uh, well, it was an interesting. Well, it remains a very interesting place, Ghent, as in terms of it's got a density of architectural culture. A strength of a local practitioner base. Yeah, it's true. They, they always tell us that there's like this significant Ghent scene. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but when you're in it, you don't. Um, well, you don't see that clear, of course, obviously. But there's a lot going on. That's true. I think we have a, a strong generation now, which is uh, emerging. So that's quite interesting. Because you have obviously that older generation of Robert and Dame, and obviously Mary Jose van Hey mm-hmm. and. Uh, even Jo van der Berger and people like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, what's interesting is you see a kind of cultural continuity happening. You see younger practices such as yourself also teaching back into that school, mm-hmm. but making work in that context, mm-hmm. which is just a very... It's an interesting thing to mark when it happens, when you see batons being passed and people picking them up. Because what's kind of interesting from an Irish context is the kind of habit would be that you one would be have be forced to leave the area that you're from when you finish your education and then you return to that place. Is that also the case in Belgium? Are we all lucky enough to get work locally and kind of... You mean that we work abroad or do you... Yeah, because it's interesting just to see continuity in the scene basically there. In Ghent or in Belgium in general? Well, there's there's obviously the Flanders Mm -hmm. um, kind of movement which has been ongoing for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm just intrigued also by... Situations where you see a school producing a generation of yeah, architects, yeah. they teach in that school, yeah, yeah. and then there's the another generation of architects, and they're also sort of invited back into that school to teach there, which is just a wonderful mm. culture. Mm. 
I'm just interested in that. Were, were you all employed reasonably close to where you were educated? Or Yes, I think so, yeah. It's not that uh, one of us um, went to work abroad, so we all more or less locally uh, worked in several offices. But it's, it's, it, is, it is a strong generation that uh, was before us. But at the same time, it's interesting that we try to kind of um, reconnect to uh, also what was before yeah. in some way. Uh, almost, well, as was for us in the case, uh, almost in a naive way, we kind of looked back at what interests us, us and uh, how we could uh, yeah, reconnect uh, and, and make something that was significant for us. Um, who were those people you were looking at? Well, um, obviously there are a lot of strong influences uh, in, in uh, from Wiccan to Mies van der Rohe and so on, right? the mm. classical ones, of course. But uh, for us, starting the office, this was not that kind of um, um, approach, I think. It was not an ac- academic uh, point of view we had. Yeah, uh, It was more a kind of... Uh, we shared a general idea of what architecture should be or should not be. There were a lot of buildings that we, we didn't want to make, in a, in a way. We, we were um, also very intrigued by anonymous architecture, yeah. like things that were not designed, in a way. And that was a very strong force f- for us. Um, and as I say, we started very naive um, from scratch, you could say. We had an ed- education, obviously. But instead of immediately continuing this, whatever, what you've learned and reproduce it, we kind of swept it clean yeah. for starters. And then we started from really basic decisions, um, simply how to build, what material, the context, all these kind of things. And from there, we started very, very uh, limited. Uh, and then gradually, we, we allowed complexion um, or com- complexity to, uh, to come into the work. And then there are more and more references that fall into place. Mm-hmm. And that is very interesting because uh, in the beginning, it's like it's too much. I mean, you have this kind of historic references which are overwhelming. And in some way, you cannot grab them. Uh, when yeah, when yeah. I teach, it's always the same. I mean, you teach also. It's like students, they, they kind of they don't get the depth of, of this work, which is not a problem. You, you just digest it and try to do something with it. But when you start professionally... Uh, you have to kind of choose and we chose like to to start what we knew perfectly and then from there uh, step up I don't know whether you understand what I'm saying I know I do completely I mean it's one of the it's one of the things that a school of architecture should give you the facility to do which is that ultimately you have to take a position and ultimately you have to start pulling at a thread Mm -hmm. which takes um a lot of shutting down of other options. Yeah. So you have to edit the world to allow yourself mm. to start. And I think that's what's, it's, it's certainly what our school's about here. And it's certainly what I was given in my education was that somebody, the phone rings and somebody asks you to do something. And how do you move? Mm-hmm. And you find that, because our story is very similar, we had defined a lot of our position by negation of work by others, where we're mm. not that. Yeah. or that's bullshit or we're not interested in that mm-hmm. which is great I, yeah, yeah. I love talking to students it's the opposite still, way but yeah 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 and it's, it's, a, it's a really good way to come at things and then it's the point somebody asks you to do something you have to go well hang on I know what I don't want to do mm-hmm. and you fall back on kind of very in kind of mm-hmm. instincts mm-hmm. and you just start working from there and mm-hmm. you start moving forward from there and it's a really interesting to talk mm-hmm. about on the podcast for architecture students which is that because 
there's, a, there's an interesting contradiction. You said earlier on you were interested in buildings without architects, you know, mm-hmm. that these were, I think you said without designers, but actually they have been designed. Of course, yeah, of course, but it's yeah. not manifest. It's like... It's not an academic uh, training. No, no. Yeah. And the thing is, we got a lot, especially in the beginning, I mean, we started, again, uh, in a very direct way, without any network, anything, actually, without work, you could say, which is quite difficult as an architect if you don't have enough work. <laughs> yes. But it's a struggle. And that's why you get clients. I mean, you need to take every opportunity you can, simply. You cannot take, you cannot say, I will do some cherry picking. and, and so <laughs> yes. It's not, it's no, not it's an not option. Like simple. Yeah. It's like survival. But still, of course, the, the, the urge to make architecture, to make strong buildings, it, it was extremely high. But you kind of have to uh, smuggle it in, the architecture, with the clients. I mean, there's not a direct communication about architecture I mean you don't talk about architecture it's just yeah, simply that's funny we, we used to be like that and <laughs> I don't know why but we're now really upfront with people they can get the real nerdish stuff if they wanted mm-hmm. and I mean they're all much more intelligent people than us our clients at the moment perhaps that's part of the conversation so they're very fluid and lucid mm-hmm. with this sort of stuff but for a while we were trying to smuggle it past people mm-hmm. And then clients kept making decisions on site, which sort of didn't fall within the realm of our project, yeah, 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 yeah. Commons, but were actually good. Yeah. I don't know, maybe it was a recession in Ireland, but we've just sort of, we just sort of tell people as it is, mm-hmm. be that highfalutin or dumb, mm-hmm. that we give it as it is. Yeah, but you cannot talk uh, academically, you have to talk real stuff, you need to talk logic, and, and what we always try to do is to get the client into a kind of um, rational... Um, way of thinking yeah. of that, that we kind of say this is important in the project for us yes uh, that this is what generates the space as we think is interesting in this place and for your program or whatever and and uh, if they get into the this logic uh, they accept the choices yeah and that we, we try to avoid we, we don't like to make choices we always talk about that I mean we, we don't like this I mean there's like a field of <laughs> millions of choices you have to make as an architect and we the three of us we don't like to make any choices which means actually we start to set up a project and define what is important that is important for us and then the rest comes from that basic setting and it seems from the outside because I know your work by the publication mm-hmm. really although I haven't been to see any of the buildings but it seems that a lot of those impulses are situated in the tectonics of the buildings or mm-hmm. how they're put together. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Uh, that's, that's, uh, surely that's correct. And, but it's interesting that some, some people, like, they, they ask us, why do you use this material? And, for example, why do you use wood <laughs> for a roof? And I kind of, I, I always think it's a, strong, it's a strange uh, question because it's obviously extremely logic. There are other options but in that setting if you know how the project is put together there's not a question there's not a strange decision in in a whole project yeah. with us yeah so that that makes the question why do you use brick for that wall irrelevant in my opinion which is just simply the way we look at it yeah right because it's such a logic thing that in, in the beginning we, we keep everything high up in the in the air and then discuss a lot and then when the project takes its turn and then it's like it's laid out and it's fixed, and then everything is perfect. So the, yeah, but so you're saying there that the material choices, if I understand you correctly, they're sort of decisions that you enter in early on, mm-hmm. and you don't ever want to re-question them because they give you the logic structure for the project or but part it, of it. It feels structure. as if it's not necessary anymore to 
to reevaluate them. Yeah, yeah. Because no, they're they're start they're the start of the of the process. Yeah. We don't design without material. Yeah. We simply don't. And it's not that we're like structural fetishists. Yeah. I mean you know, like I mean we'll look at my structure and look how no, it's like this is necessary for the building. And you, you have to understand in the beginning the, the, the program or the clients were, were that basic that we kind of we had to we had to do it with this. Yeah. I mean there was no money for finishing. There was like it that's it. If you don't uh, uh if you can, if you need some pictures from your finished project, yeah. and it's only uh, the rough building you get to make, and then people like, or they they make it totally wrong or whatever they do with the building, where we don't have any control over that. So we tried to make the primary structure as good as possible, and that's the project. Yeah. So there's pragmatism in there. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. It's not like the, the choice were brutalists in a way. Yeah. You understand? I do, yeah. Um, in, in the living tradition of brutalism. Yeah, yeah, not in that sense. I mean, you could, of course, you can place us somewhere, whatever you want, but it's, in our opinion, we just do what is necessary for us to make the characterful space. Yeah. But then people, I mean, they can paint it white or they can plaster it or whatever. It's not that we don't care, but it's like what we do with what we do up until the finished raw structure must be perfect in that sense, and then it's kind of we give a certain amount of freedom also, because we don't like the fact that I mean as an architect you can of course um, define everything to the last moment and then allow the client to come into the house, right? <laughs> but it does it's not his project anymore then. Yeah, you understand. Yeah. So the color of of the, of the way he lives in it. We like that. And that's why, in my opinion, our projects are different, especially finished, because every time the color of the client or whoever lives in it kind of makes the, the final choices. Yeah. But at the beginning, there will be never an irrational point in these projects, or they're failed for us, I yeah. mean, or it's not a good project. These clients, of course, they're contributing to the design process, and then they're living in the houses, and are the spaces are working in them and of course the spaces change with that but what's interesting about the process you describe is that they're also part of the conversation about the pragmatic rationale of what is important in the project to you mm -hmm. guys so does that not produce a situation where they kind of understand the architecture and therefore although they will change it they will do it within the schooling or the kind of conversation that's already yeah, yeah. that's that's yeah. very interesting that's what i mean if you get a substantial discussion yeah. If you get, really get a dialogue, yeah. then you get something real. Because, uh, this is, well, the, the, the one on the poster, the, the picture on the poster, yeah. you know, uh, this project, it's, uh, it's simply, uh, we imagined, we made a model in the beginning, it was white, just simply because we painted the wood white, basic as that. And then we said, okay, maybe we just make it and we paint it fully white. Was that basic we heard sometimes yeah. and then uh, the client in, in, in the end when it was built he said no we're not going to paint it it's, it's beautiful as it is I mean the red brick the, the concrete all these choices we're going to show them which of course we supported but it's not like we want I mean you see it's like this negotiation which yeah. is very very interesting yeah but for us, it's not about the perfection of the pouring of the concrete but it's about the perfection of the whole concept of what is being built about the action you're doing at the place whether it's at, at um, whether it's suitable for the site yeah you see and if I say we're, we don't like to take choices or to make choices we always look uh, we investigate a lot looking at the site what is there if we strip everything or whatever and then we try to invent a language from that and make something of that yeah so and that's why we don't have to have like all the tools and then 
put into your architecture. No, we'll look what is there, we analyze it, and then we start from there. And then we get a project which is at the same time extremely local, mm. but for us in a way structurally or conceptually universal, in a sense that it means something out of its context yeah. also, you see? Yeah. But it's both at the same time. Yeah. That is very interesting. Because otherwise you get conceptual architecture, which we're not interested in. Yeah. Just simply because it's too poor. Well, I mean, in its strict sense, of course. Well, I was doing it mainly to provoke um, um, an American academic. Um, but I, I did say that material manufacturers have more to do with the spatial intelligence or the potentials of architecture than theoreticians at the moment. Mm. And theoreticians can write as much as they want. Mm. But the reality is, is that if a sheet of plywood comes in a certain dimension... Yeah. That will govern a lot, and especially if that's at an affordable price locally at the time of a design mm-hmm. project, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. what you're describing. And I find that interesting, and of course I'm not rejecting theory, but as you say, theory emerges from the conversations with history, with mm-hmm. context, but mm-hmm. also with what you actually do with those materials. And um, in that context, I completely understand what you're saying. But then, of course, you also get new build work. Mm-hmm. But it seems as if you're very accepting that the architect is part of the site that they're working on. And you can sort of see, and again, this is just by observation, Mm -hmm. you can see ideas from one project manifesting themselves in another, which I love this kind of conversation that's happening in the work of your practice. Mm -hmm. And it's not actually about the production of a style which is easily digestible and disseminable. Mm -hmm. We were talking just before this podcast, just for the benefit of our listeners, about scalability in architecture mm. and that there's a problem sometimes with certain types of architecture which is that it has to get quite dumb to become to be capable of getting big commissions mm-hmm. um, but what I'm interested in this kind of this conversational aspect of the work um, and what it feels to me like is that the work is not collaged but it's very clearly assembled mm-hmm. Its components are very clearly understood and how they go together is expressed as part of the language of the architecture and mm-hmm. the language is synchronous with that. Mm-hmm. But it's not Jan de Wilder. It's not like mm-hmm. uh, a collage of, of things. It's much more about a synthesis and an equilibrium and a balance, mm-hmm. both structural and spatial. Mm-hmm. And I'm really interested in how you test and develop that. I mean, how are you... I mean, some of those judgments are incredibly fine-tuned and very delicately poised. And do you make those judgments using large-scale models, or do you allow yourself to adjust the project on site, or how do you navigate that? Well, it's interesting. Like I said, the complexity grew over the years. Yes. And it's really true. I mean, we started simply with a column and a beam, and then really taking joy out of employing it in a, in a right way, for example. And then uh, there's, there's a big part is the control over the process. I mean, some architects like uh, like complexity in itself. We don't like it as as a um, in, as a way of working. I mean, we like to make things as simple as possible, and complexity only comes from a succession of com- uh, simple choices mm-hmm. layered together. And if you uh, if you can attach to the site, it becomes a lot more complex in its uh, whole. It's not detached. Right? Yeah. You can build on the layers that are already present and you add layers, so you get a new story which involves all these layers. And then uh, what is nice is that we, we, as we said, we don't want to make a style or we're not even um, even thinking about that, you could say. It's always about, well, it's first of all, there's, there's just the love of material. Sometimes we like, I mean, um, 
we like wood, for example, and then all projects are in wood. Yeah. And then you get the next context, and then I mean, there's concrete all over the place. So you say, okay, we take concrete, and and then we say, uh, we did we had discussions in the office. It was really funny. We we weren't going to use bricks as a facade material. It was like not. I mean, you have these kind of things, right? Yeah. And then you develop a way how to use them. Yeah. But but that's that's the basicness, the level of basicness we started with, and then you start to try to use all these materials. Uh, but only when they can, when the, the event presented itself, yeah. and you say this is the right moment to do this or to do use that. So there's an element of fun in there. I mean, just the fact I like to use this in that way, or what can we do with this material? And then obviously there's the context which kind of shapes this material and does it in another way. Um, and then it's like it can never become when things become a style I think it's like uh, when it becomes an, uh, um, almost an art exercise that's kind of a danger that's why we uh, if you say how we develop it we make models yeah. if we feel like it if you don't we don't yeah. you know it's, it's not, not like a we can never and, and that never works with us if we would say we will always make large scale models then it becomes it, it loses its strength yeah. it, for us the architecture is primary that's it so the techniques are deployed as everything feel, is to do that and yeah. uh, simple as that sometimes if we like we're not sure whether a project will will continue we make it as big as possible just to feel it yeah. then it's been then it has been there then we have experienced it in a way and then might stop the project but you have the experience and you can use this again in another project yeah. understand and well simple things I mean we have a, a big office which is cold like an old factory <laughs> and uh, we, if you make small models they just perish they're like yeah. I mean the, whole, the the heat and the cold and it's gone so we made wooden models just simply because then we could look at them longer yeah they, they would survive in our office um, and and that's also we're a lot in, intrigued like art, artists like Thomas Schütte for example mm. if he makes these primitive models sometimes it's very interesting because they, they lose, um, they're very strong. You cannot do details in them. It's like, I mean, he uses leftover metal boxes to compile and, and have this kind of architectural, I mean, he's one house models. I don't know. Yeah, you know no, I do, yeah. Really beautiful book. Yeah. He, well, but if you see the models, of, they have always a very strong idea. Yeah. And at the same time, a playfulness, some lightness in some through the use of color or whatever, the way he does it, he, there's a kind of direct, I mean, I found this, I, I assembled it and there it is. And it allows you to test the, the strength of the idea. Yeah. And you cannot lose yourself in details. Not that we're against details, but the detail is always something that kind of, um, yeah, comes from the first concept, simple as that. It's not like we want to do this detail. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, that's not, that's like not even the case. And when I see uh, we're, we're, we're dealing with that on a very basic level and, and from there on the final details come and then there's, and that is very interesting, we tested all these ideas in the context and in the process of things getting constructed, there's a dialogue with the contractor. Yeah. And if you don't have big amounts of money, you cannot say, okay, break it down <laughs> again, one meter uh, and so on. No, no, you must know, first of all, perfectly what you're doing. Yeah. And second of all, you must understand to make, well, I'm not even saying a compromise. It's a kind of negotiation. 
in which uh, the contractor, because we used to, uh, well, and we still do, have a lot of meetings with contractors before the project is built. Because we want to test our conceptual idea yeah. at its, is it logically built that way? Yeah. And otherwise we will change the concept. Because we do not want to force things. Because then you feel it is forced or you feel that there's a lot of money and whatever to make it look like you want to. That's right. But it's for us, it's not relevant. It's, it's this interplay which makes, in the end, we hope, that is something that is so, in a sense, almost anonymous in its quality, meaning that it's so simply constructed that you can say, okay, yes, that's, like, that's the way it should be built yeah. for us, right? And then there should be something extra. And that's, of course, that's the, the quality of the space and the light. All these kind of things together make it into architecture. But, um, yeah, we always take into account uh, the person who makes it. And that gives us uh, a much stronger architecture than that we're just drawing something and somebody has to make it exactly like that. And how do you make them part of the conversation? So, I mean, we, like a lot of our work in Ireland now, we do as negotiated tenders. And for precisely this reason, mm -hmm. and then when we're working here in the UK where we don't know so many people, it has to be a competitive tender. And it produces this exact problem that you're talking about, which is that you know in the tender negotiations you will be changing a lot of your details mm -hmm. to make them appropriate to this firm mm -hmm. and this, this thing. And how do you manage that? They need to be competitive in your pricing with how you get it constructed and then collaborating with the person who's going to build it during the design Exactly stage. in yeah. that sense. Yeah. Because we know if it's too difficult, you will put this price a lot higher. So do you do an open book where they're showing you their profit margin and you can see the cost? Yeah, but it's not. It's, it's, it's a direct uh, negotiation with the contractor. It's not a developer. Eh? No, 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 I get that. That's no, a difference, that. right? The reason I ask is that in our negotiated tenders, there's always a question from the client, which is that, how do we know this is the best price? Ah, and yeah, and, yeah. and how do we know that? And so we're forced to kind of tender or mock tender or get a QS in or any of that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just interested. It's just pure yeah, yeah. professional yeah, curiosity. Yeah. How do you manage that? Well, I think what I'm talking about mainly is in the smaller projects. Yeah. Because then there's a more direct uh, communication and you can talk with the client to say we want this contractor for this and and okay he knows that it will be quality work we say we work with them for years and then you can have a kind of way of working yeah. which works so but if trust, you go it's trust it's trust yeah. but if you go higher i mean if you do bigger projects we're now developing a lot bigger projects it's it becomes totally different of course but the interesting yeah. thing is that you learn a lot yeah during i mean now it's almost 10 years we're working you learn what is possible and what is not and still, every day we're learning. I mean, again, these big projects have totally different ambitions or totally different ways of working, and you need to, to get behind the system to get it into your direction or the way you want to work. Uh, but you know a lot more, uh, yeah, what is possible, I think. Yeah. And, and that's, well, that's the way we try to make it work. Yeah, yeah. no, I hear you. There's, a, it's, there's an interesting project on your website which I keep waiting to see if it ever finishes yeah. because I sort of love it in its half constructed state which is the uh, Breakle renovation yeah. project and there's this amazing image of a wall on a single I-beam which is bearing through the side walls <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then a T structure just inside there mm -hmm. and this beautiful layering of construction and that was sort of where I kind of started my questioning mm -hmm. about how you work on site because that seems to me to be, 
um, it's almost like a model one is to one. Mm -hmm. These images of this project, mm -hmm. and I know the excitement that sort of comes with that. I'm just interested in that project specifically. How is that project? Mm -hmm. Is it still as it's shown on your website? Well, it uh, that's that's a good example of where we did the primary structure. Yeah. But then in the finishing, there was a kind of detachment. Uh, we, we weren't uh, following the choices the client wanted to make. Yeah. And that's an important stage for us. I mean, like I said, we try to have the maximum freedom as possible. And we're really open in that. But there's a kind of, well, limit. There's something that you say, okay, this is essential. And if, if it detaches, if, if there's no good communication anymore. Yeah. For us, it's like, okay, no problem no hard feelings, job, but, but for us, it, this is finished. And that's why we don't put any more pictures for now uh, in it. Uh, maybe once we pass by, but, but for us, this project in this stage is finished. How strange it might look, because I mean... Yeah, no, no, I understand but, that. Because the project is different from the building. Yeah. And uh, it's also different from a commission. Yeah. So there's this kind of, I know the feeling you're talking about, there's a bit in the design stage where it's a commission, yeah. but it's not yet a project. Yeah, that's it. And we've done what we know, what we think is valuable yeah. in this project. We yeah. know, I mean, whatever, I mean, we open up the house to the view there. I mean, it's very interesting, the situation. You have a, a road which finishes and there's like this old house, right? But it is not faced towards the beautiful view. It's faced to the other direction. And then we cut open the whole side facade and we put one beam and so on. And then we recess the facade and so on. So all these kind of things are, we kind of open up the project. But there it stops. I mean, and in a way, I mean, it's a pity, but at the same time for us, this is the pleasure. That's yeah, it. No, no. We have it. Actually, we have it already. Of course, to attract more clients, it's nice. I have nice pictures. I mean, right? The lifestyle stuff. But, <laughs> yeah. but to be honest... For us, it's not even needed. If we can do that stage, we know whatever the building becomes, it's valuable. It's You've done something good for the building, yeah. for the context, yeah. which is rare. I mean, just uh, that you can do that. Because yeah. um, we believe if they sell it, somebody else comes into the house, he sees the light, he sees all the, the choices made, and he does something else with the... F course, I mean, that's all reversible. Actually, it doesn't really matter. Um, but of course, for yourself and... You, website you need to make certain choices and I say okay that's what we show that we don't yeah, yeah simple yeah. as that um, but there's like well there's a lot of other projects of course but we kind of like to and from the beginning we got this reaction of people like okay do you get clients from showing this work I mean because it's like sometimes it's rough sometimes I mean you don't have this clear um, statement or, or I don't know um, commercially speaking it's not like what it should be, I think. Well, anyway, could be, but I think it's interesting for us to show what we are and what we do, and yeah, that's no, what I, that's what uh, we do. Perfect. Uh, for us, that's what we do. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's, uh, I can't really speak about this because our website's a disaster, and we've not touched <laughs> it in years, and we've yeah. produced a lot of interesting projects that we've never shown anyone. And I think there's kind of a mismatch between. I know exactly what you're saying. I think it's what it's for, really. It's basically to capture mm -hmm. the thinking of the practice. Yeah. And I think that it doesn't actually get you work, but it helps people mm -hmm. maybe tip over into making a decision to mm -hmm. ask you to do something. Um, but I think, but it is interesting to see that you are getting larger projects and that mm -hmm. you're transitioning some from very careful early work 
some much more large scale mm. urban projects. And I'm interested, first of all, I suppose, how that happened. I mean, how did you navigate that, and, mm. and how is that affecting the practice? Mm. Well, it, it was, as I said, it was very difficult in the beginning. Still is sometimes, but we had a few things that were were we were lucky to have like. One of the first big uh, contests we could do with Kusinjuri's architects, where I uh, did my internship, and they asked us to to um, contribute on the competition to for the swim in uh, Knokke. Oh yeah, and uh, the Nature Center. Yeah. So this kind of is, this is a very big opportunity. I mean, no, normally you can simply you cannot compete on this scale. Yeah. Right. No, of course. And yeah. what is so intriguing for us, and that helped us a lot, is 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 first of all that you can test your ideas on this big of, of a scale. You can have real discussions, uh, for example, with them also about uh, architecture or the way you want to make this building. Because yeah. there's always a difficulty. I mean, if you work together with another office, I mean, it must fit in some way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you yeah. cannot fight. You, yeah. you need to. But the nice thing, and that is true, that there are a few of their starting points which uh, are at the same levels as ours. I mean, like, uh, and that way you can make architecture. And then it's maybe the final finishing. But even that, for us, it's not. It's it's the structure, the way the building is laid out, mm-hmm. that must be good, and that's something we share, I think, and that's why it went really good. So with them, we did also another uh, project. Um, we won a competition um, for the Belgium Tower. It's oh yes, living tower yeah, that's in, that in black Yeah, uh, the old building, and yeah. then we put some um, the new um, facade. So this is very interesting that it can continue. So this is, for us, it was a very important moment because you you start to kind of scale up. And then, of course, you compete at other uh, competitions and then you do like like a fire station or dance studios and stuff like that we're doing now and some bigger housing projects. Um, and obviously, then you have to scale up a bit. I mean, we have now a few employees. I mean, you, you have to... But the interesting thing is that our, back, our practice is based on conversation, yeah. on dialogue with the three of us we started. So you cannot have like this, I'm the artist, I want to make this choice. It doesn't work like that. And in the beginning, and that's very interesting, you have a lot of discussion. Yeah, A lot of discussion with the, I would say, minimum output, but the, I mean, a lot of discussion and then, and then the solution. But then through the years, the, the, the discussions, they fainted away. I mean, it's like almost... You're in a kind of dialogue, in a way of working, and then it, it's simply and you, you can you can um, all the contributors, all the employees, they can think along. It's 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 a way of working, and that's as 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 soon as you establish that, it works extremely well. Yeah, and, and it that's does, a nice feeling. Yeah, I can imagine, and it does take those first five six yeah. years to learn. Yeah. That's difficult. Yeah, that it is. is because there's lots of arguments. You can do everything. Yes. Right? But it's true, eh? Yeah. But I think it's an essential thing to talk about because there, all architects are social architects mm-hmm. because we cannot exist on our own. No. And all our work environments are social places. And it doesn't really get articulated a lot in schools of architecture because there's so much else to learn, mm-hmm. perhaps. Yeah. But that kind of necessary kind of grinding of the gears between people before yeah. they mesh yeah. and a lot of people sort of give up before they've met yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of very talented yeah. people just find they can't yeah. get along but you well really enough. must be strong enough that you can really uh, have a dialogue to the, to, the, to the edge to the limit of what, what is I mean and still have not a compromise but the best solution yeah. together and that seems to work that seems to work on multiple levels um, you know as practices scale up, 
Mm-hmm. Because I mean, one of the things that, you know, from an Irish context, we've got to sit and watch as people like, say, Grafton architects mm-hmm. have gone from being, you know, important local architects, yeah. but completely unknown in the mm-hmm. world, to being these, yeah. Yeah, you know, who they are. Yeah. And what's really interesting about watching them or, say, O'Donnell and Toomey is that how they've managed to retain really good people in the office yeah. and give them, like, valuable yeah. or, and dignity in that mm-hmm. context. For sure. It's kind of incredible because, again, it's not something that's talked about because when you have people who have grown together with you like that for 10 or even 20 years, as in Grafton's case, I think, the whole office knows how to move in response to a design discussion, which means you can achieve a lot more with Mm. a lot less people and a lot more quality. And I think these are interesting things. Mm. I mean, we were terrible at hiring initially. Yeah, but I know, but it's a process. You have to go through it. Yeah, and you you learn... how to do those mm-hmm. things and mm-hmm. how to manage those things but they are essential to mm-hmm. making architecture it isn't a baser conversation it is at the same level I think yeah you need to incorporate them I mean you have to integrate them in the decisions in some way or that they have responsibility that it's like you know it's a joint venture it's not something that we impose this should be it yeah yeah, yeah. I mean there's a kind of dialogue and then and that's but it's very much in the way we simply work. If you look at what is there, we establish what is important. That is something you can simply dialogue about. And then you decide it. And that is something that usually it is shared. If you put enough on the table together, yeah. you get out what is necessary of what is interesting. And then you employ it in a way which makes the project work. But then it kind of, yeah, in, a, in an almost organic way, I would say, it, it works. Um, and of course you always need somebody who kind of more gets into the project which is very important I mean you cannot have all three at the same time it doesn't work like that you must like gather the information and help put again and again every Friday we do like all the projects which are relevant we discuss together with the whole team so you get these kind of decisions people know what is every project stage where it is and what are the important decisions and that makes that you it's like a group effort yeah. And it really feels like that. Yeah. I, I, even if it's not my idea, I'm happy if it's a good idea. You understand? You know, There's know. not a single thing in my mind that says, "Oh, it's a pity I didn't come up with that." <laughs> I mean, I mean it. And and it's something that grows over the years because initially you need to put your ego aside. I mean, oh, it's totally, not. I mean, yeah. it's not even it gets out of the room. And then you kind of well, if if you feel that the projects which are being realized that they're good, I mean, if you feel that's what I want to make in the end, that's that's what is important. That's what it no, needs. No, I to completely be. agree with you because fighting for my idea in a group context has—I don't think any value really. Yeah. I don't see it because no? their ideas are mainly they're only things to facilitate mm-hmm. the conversation mm-hmm. by which a coherence emerges. And um, it's an interesting thing, you know. Um, as part of my PhD, I got really interested in conversation as a design process for precisely these reasons. And Gadamer has an interesting line about it, which is that, and I'm paraphrasing massively here because I can't remember the direct quote, but he did say to facilitate a good conversation, if you place an idea on the table, a conversation will not happen if you are only there to project certainty about the value of that idea. But if you place an idea on the table and you immediately point out its flaws, and offer that to the group, mm-hmm. it produces a completely different conversation, yeah, obviously. Yeah, that's true. But it was a sort of, again, it's those sort of things where, you know, well, I have an idea and it's terrible. 
is very different to going, I have an amazing idea. Mm -hmm. Because you you can come at the terrible idea much more gently than the amazing yeah, idea. Yeah, for sure. No, no, that's true. And what is interesting also is that we've learned to like not uh, make a hierarchy in what we look at. That's very important. I mean, you can have like, okay, I'm very sensitive. I only show like the right examples of architecture, the right references, which I'm safely showing you. Yeah. But no, I show you also the bad ones. But maybe they're very interesting in their routing or their uh, how they're structured or how they deal with the program. And the thing is, if you don't, if you only look at what you like at the first glance, it's very poor. I mean, your your uh, reference is very small. You need to like open it up and look at everything. Simple as that. Bad buildings, good buildings. But of course, you must know what is good in a bad building or what is bad in a good one. Yes. But no, I mean, I mean that that I is do. extremely important. And I get sometimes. Students which already made their mind, made up their mind what they think is good or what is bad. Don't, they didn't even graduate yet. And I always feel a bit sorry for them because I think, let it go. I mean, it's very important to kind of make your mark know what you like. Yeah. But if it stops you from looking at the rest, yeah. it's very, I mean, it's because you, uh, through the years, sometimes you come back to something. It's in painting, I had it a lot. Yeah, I had one uh, teacher, and he showed me uh, Baltus. I don't know whether yeah, you know of him. Course, yeah. And that first time, I thought it was ugly. I said, oh, "What the? Why? Why?" But I, I respected this teacher extremely much. So I said, "Okay, maybe I'll look at it again and again and again." And years later, I mean, it's it's like it's extremely good work. But you see, that's that's it's same in architecture. You must like be open to everything. Uh, and then you learn a lot more and then you can no, apply. No, I do. I, I have sympathy with the student who might say that they're not interested in something because they might just be projecting a false certainty in a context. Yeah, I'm not going to judge them. Oh, for no, that I know, I know, for I know, sure. I know. I'm just going to help them yeah. to just say, maybe, wait a second, try to look also at that or yeah. at that. Just not more, nothing more, nothing less. But uh, in, in a way, that's something in our practice we learned to do. And, and for example, it's, it's maybe a stu stupid example, but with this tower in, in Ghent, yeah. the central tower, we had this, uh, the trouble, uh, it was too fat. If we stripped the structure, the, the proportion was wrong at the place. And all we did was to cut him up, make him small or whatever. It didn't work. Mm. And then we said, maybe we do the opposite. We just had, add something, which was crazy because we were like three months in a row we were consecutively every time, every day, cutting up, making it smaller. Then we did the opposite, and then we found a solution. I mean, we made it more elegant by attaching more yeah, volume, yeah, which yeah. was strange, and we were the only group that did that. I mean, just to illustrate that you sometimes really need to get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's very important, and that's something that taught us a lot. And that's the freedom we have in the office to just share bad and good ideas without uh, judging. No, that's interesting though, because that context that you've described there where um, a, an agenda has been followed and then you had the strength of character to radically change that agenda. All of that previous work isn't wasted. Because no. for me, it's kind of, it's a really interesting thing, which is that the elegance that arises in that project in the end would be different had you immediately started. Oh, it doesn't said, work like that. Yeah, exactly. You have to go through the mud. Yes. To, to, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, no, it's true. <laughs> yeah. But this pleasure of knowing actually that you like to do that, like to look for the solution, that's for us, that is architecture, you know? And then the end is the end. And then you have the, that's nice, but it's like we love the process. 
And who, if it isn't uh, too intrusive a question, who's on your walls at the moment? Who are you looking at at the moment? A lot. Um, well, but it's already a bit, uh, well, it's one or two years ago, but we, we went to Milan, yeah. to like the Italian modernists, oh, from yeah. Mangerotti to Gardella, for example, or Dominioni, all these guys. And, but it, we always try to combine it. We really made that trip for them. Yeah. We just, and we were completely in it. Eh? Just as we did before with, for example, Jean Prouvé. I mean, we like, we're completely obsessed with the guy and then we like, we have to go and we have to see something from him. And we try all, always to kind of limit it in a sense, uh, the amount of architecture. You kind of have to feel like, okay, I love this guy. I, I want to know everything about this or, or this plan is so magnificent. Okay. And you dig into that. Yeah. And then, all of a sudden, he's gone again. But I mean, he's in the back of your mind, yeah, yeah, always. Yeah, yeah, and in yeah. that sense, I mean, 10 years, constantly, it's like you have a whole library in your head. But always, and, and uh, even even more, is that we, we always, first we detect a problem, and then we look at references which tackle that problem. Not at specifically aesthetic references, but references that tackle that specific problem or material, whatever we're in our heads uh, at that project, we need to find something. Because in a sense, we, we, don't, we don't operate in the in thin air. I mean, it's like always we try to find, uh, as, as you could say, the approval of yeah, yeah, the masters yeah. in a sense. Kind of looking for moments of recognition. Yeah, things kind of yeah. wherever it is. And we, we look, it's not like we're going to make architecture on our, on our own. We're going to, no, it's not like that. But if you go through it a lot and a lot, sometimes we copy stuff yeah. and then go th completely through it and then something else comes out. Yeah. But at a certain moment, you're just copying something. Eh? Well, but we don't mind, eh? we don't care. No. In the end, it will always be a unique project. Yeah. Simply if you, cons uh, I mean, you need to look at the context and everything again and again, and then it becomes something unique. And that's why the references are always there. Mm -hmm. In a sense, I mean, if you're a bit into it, you can almost sometimes read the references but in a sense for us they're kind of mingled into something that makes sense on the site and which uh, doesn't speak only this reference yeah. and that's why we usually we don't show immediately our references next to the project mm. we could do a whole lecture on references no problem yeah but just to one-on-one -on -one link it, it's not, it's too poor. It's too didn't it's, it's, it's it? yeah. deductive, but it doesn't work like that, no. actually. It's, it's, it's not taking enough credit. It's like, that's piece from that and that and that. Yeah, okay, then it's something new, in a sense. But Yeah, yeah but it's, it, I know exactly what you're saying, which is that the references are merely just kind of pulls, mm -hmm. and they just pull, they tug at the project, but they're not directly manifest mm -hmm. in it, um, which is you know, an obvious thing to say, but it gets missed a lot in some kind of historical writings up of mm -hmm. how architects work. Um, but that's interesting. I mean, the comment about Milan makes a lot of sense, obviously, in terms of how the, you proportion your facades, mm -hmm. how you proportion your structures. You seem very mm -hmm. concerned with that. And I mean, I'm reminded, actually, I don't know if you saw it, but I think it was the Chipperfield Biennale, I think, uh, the common ground one. There was a beautiful room of... Milanese facades mm -hmm. off, I yeah, in the Italian pavilion. I think it was that one. And like Moretti and Ponti and all yeah. of this stuff. And I kept waiting for a book to come out just with those facade drawings. and never arrived. 
So you have to keep going back and surveying yeah. all these. Some of them are the anonymous buildings in Milan. It's, it's incredible. I mean, yeah. you go to look at a masterpiece and next to it, there's something even better. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you didn't see yet or don't know about. And, and there's, such a, there's also such a freedom an atmosphere in these buildings that goes beyond like kind of austere idea it's like it's overwhelming almost when you're yeah. there with all the greenery and there's like a joie de vivre in yeah, French yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. we, and we love that and that's what we are always looking for it's like it's not we, we in, in a certain sense we like also the imperfection of things because that makes it human mm. I mean you need to strive for a certain perfection but when the imperfection is there in things that are made or whatever we embrace it it makes the project a lot better. Always. These difficulties... No, it's tr it's really true. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're saying. And it's with intolerances because there are yeah. certain imperfections yeah. that are intolerable. Yeah, but it makes but, it human. It's, yeah. it, it's really like that because you can sometimes... I'm not going to point fingers, but some Swiss architecture uh, from the past, you could say it's like so polished, so perfect. <coughs> Actually, it. I mean, if I go there, I don't experience anything. Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think that's um, I think that's fine in Switzerland where that's a sort of local building industry. But I kind of... Um, you know, you get, you get people speaking dismissively about, say, builders in Britain or builders in Ireland and yearning for mm -hmm. the Swiss building. And I kind of agree with you, which is to say, no, that, that the building industry is part of your context. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, of course the building in Switzerland can't be built mm -hmm. in London. Of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not going to generalize, obviously, which would be a mistake. Um, but the, like, like uh, the, the early work of Herzog and Dumero, yeah, and I refer to the Blue Book, you know, yeah, no, we, no. it's incredible. Yes, and I know yeah. for many architects, but for us, it's like a revelation to see how the details and the things are constructed, how freely they, they use the materials and, and poor materials next to rich and... and I mean, it's almost endless. In the few projects, you have like the whole history of architecture compressed in a few buildings for us. Yeah. And it kind of taught us that uh, when we, like I said, we, we started basically like if you build in brick, the outside is also in brick no. for some stupid reason. <laughs> no, but, but it's, for us, it's important to not immediately before uh, state it academically, it's separated, it's different. No. We start basically, it is like that. Yes. And then you learn through project that it is not like that. But then you know how to employ it and why. Yeah. A lot better or in a sense, you know, much better why it's not like that. Not from a theoretical point of view, but simply by building. Yeah. If you build, you know it's different. Simply because it's finished and then they add insulation. Yeah. And it's a totally different story. But I cannot explain it another way, but it's, it's totally different that if you make this position in the beginning already mm -hmm. or if you learn that. But we always keep on evaluating and that is extremely important for us. We don't fix our point of view. So every, every step we do is a learning process. Yeah. And you do something new with that. And that makes it constantly interesting to do our job. Yeah, and, well, every I know every architect probably, but I mean that's just simply I the way like, we try to establish our. I don't know whether that's practice. true of every architect. I no. don't think that it's necessary, necessary for every architect. No. But I, I I agree with you. I find that much that gregarious side of it and the uncertainties of that mm -hmm. just much more um, fun. Mm -hmm. But 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 that's because you don't make a great livelihood from architecture, so. But you have an amazing quality of life. Yeah, that's uh, it. On all that's kinds it. of other levels. 
And I think that's what I think is interesting because the, the, the certainty, yes, some people thrive on that and they need it. And we were speaking earlier on, we don't go into now, I don't think, but of architects who just put the blinkers on mm-hmm. and they're chasing, oh, I don't know who they're chasing, Rem Kohlhaas. Yeah, whatever. Whoever. Yeah, yeah. And good enough for them and great. Mm-hmm. But I find it quite... Uh, I feel sort of sorry for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, well, you can probably not achieve it that well, or yeah, some whatever. of us maybe, can, whatever. You do, doesn't matter. You don't, but you, you, you're not able to enjoy the process. Yeah, that's it. All there is is the process, mm-hmm. really. Um, and I, I kind of agree with that, which is that, yeah, if you're not open to things inflecting on you and changing on it, then, well, maybe just become more commercial then and make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but could be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. But sorry. but once you know where to look, and you can, um, if you that you construct things from things that are on site, yeah, then it becomes so um, such a freedom that you don't have to like uh, think, oh, what will we do now? It's more like okay, we can do something else again and again, something new. I mean, we 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 teach also because the the title primary structure yeah. is also the title of the studio we teach at the Leuven in in Ghent at the faculty, and uh, there we we kind of always investigate buildings, anonymous industrial buildings or farmer buildings or whatever, mm. and we do like the half of the full span of the semester we do investigation only, okay. so they cannot invent anything; they can only read and and measure and, and draw what is there and do you publish those or we're, we're now in the process of publishing something yes great we're, okay, yeah. well and and the thing is that they and in the beginning they think it's strange i mean yeah yeah we saw the building and i say no you didn't i mean if you really draw how it is constructed and we have a discussion because lots, lots of times these are um renovated time and time again for example so if you then at one point you analyze a whole building you can analyze the layers of the different years of what has been built before after and so on and constructed the construction is very clear you can read everything because it's not insulated buildings right yeah and then with these tools they have to decide do at the same side do we demolish everything do we keep certain parts do we uh, get elements from there and transform them in, in, in contemporary building? So if it's steel there, they can still build in steel or they can uh, change the material but follow the same rhythm that is there and so on, whatever. They have to make a link, something that comes from the side. And what is it, very interesting that we don't have any discussions on style or whatever. We only say, okay, what can you do with that? And you appreciate really what is there. And, and, and to really achieve that is something, is a really nice moment. Mm. And we, we were last summer in Porto at the summer school, and then we, we took a typical Flan, Flanders situation, some kind of old factory which was rebuilt for 30 times and so on. And it was really crazy. And we were there in Porto in the sunshine in Caesar's <laughs> building, discussing on a column and a beam which what was first and how and so and we were like with with 40 nationalities together discussing really deeply into this strange thing and that are beautiful moments Mm. i mean and then they made an architecture out of that and then it's like at the end they're like proud what did we make i mean we would have never made this if we would gone through this process Mm -mm. and that is a nice way of working or a nice way of teaching yeah and we learn at it at the same time, always. It seems interesting about that is that you then, because the student, of course, they're absorbing and there's a the methodology you're employing, which is a contextual one, then they're able to 
produce their own language from their own intuitive yeah, position. Yeah. So it's really interesting and it's a generous way of teaching because it's generous to you guys because you get yeah, to we see get a lot. and you yeah, learn a lot. But it's also really generous to the student because it helps them situate themselves, yeah. you know, independent of yeah. other things. And I think that's kind of interesting. The, 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 um, was, was that something that people... Uh, taught you using that kind of attitude or was that sort of a response to um, critiques of your own education? Well, I think it's, 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 um, it's first of all, it's, it's the way we work in the office or we developed and it's something, of course, you try to also do in your teaching yeah. Yeah, because, of course, you learn a way of working and then you try to, in some way, channel it into uh, the other way to, you teach. But it's also... Um, yeah, there's a lot of artists or, I mean, for example, if you say uh, Gilbert and George, yeah. just because they last week they were in, in Brussels. Uh, and then the, the simple things. I mean, they worked for all of their lives with the two of them. And, you know, the, the squares, the grid on their pictures, it's simply the view they have from their interior window to the outside because they have the old wood notes. stuff, Stupid stuff like that. But for me, it's like always very interesting to understand these are internationally known artists but they simply work every day they take a walk and everything they see they like integrate into this own perfectly unique language but I mean it consists of their daily lives so it's the way they look the glasses they have on that makes their world and it's the same with us the way you look at a building that's actually that determines the way you look at architecture for us Mm-hmm. And if you develop a point of view from that, if you if you manage to do that, then you can create new stuff. And that's a kind of very interesting way of working. And there are a lot of artists that you can see that's the way they work. They do not create in a new way. They always re-evaluate things. They like look at things. They archive. They, I mean, if you're like, you have the artist uh, or the writer George Perec. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, he just writes 20 pages on his desk and it's really heavy stuff yeah. but at the same time that's what he does that's his work without doing anything new the describing of it yeah. is the work itself and that's a really precise way of looking and in that sense everything becomes richer and that's like a treasure if you overlook it it's like there's too much but if you manage to do that and then of course you combine it with everything you know right? and then you can uh, allow all the references to come back. But first, you need to kind of develop a known view, a world of yourself. Yeah. And then you can, like, let everything in. That's great. I mean, normally we wrap up these uh, interviews with a question. No, 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 because I I thank you for your time. But what I'm trying to work out is... um, we normally wrap up with a question, which is, if you had advice to give a student, what would it be? <laughs> that that's sort of... That <laughs> that's might it, okay. Be the answer to the question. Thank you, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Flores, for your time. You're welcome. Um, thanks for the invitation. And no, it's great to have you over. Um, so we'll go downstairs and we'll, well, we'll see some student work. And Perfect. see the lecture. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Register, and thanks again to Flores. Uh, I look forward to you joining us in our next episode. Before signing off, I'd like to thank Laura Evans, as ever, uh, for her tireless work in organising this lecture series and these podcasts and more, and also Madoka Ellis for his work on the technical side of things. For yourselves, thank you for listening, and do remember to subscribe and to leave comments. Thank you so much. Bye.